Today we are living in an exciting age. So much is happening and we can do so much more because of the advances in knowledge and technology that are taking place at breathtaking speed. I read about, uh, I saw rather on the news that medical technology has developed a capsule the size of a medication capsule that contains a camera and is driven by a propeller. You swallow the capsule, the propeller starts, the lights go on and it careers around your organs taking photos. <laughs> I don't think I would really want to see the footage. When computers first came on the scene, it was prophesied that the average working week would drastically fall and that we would have an abundance of leisure time. Well, as we know, the exact opposite has happened. The average working week has increased and people are increasingly physically worn out and find it harder and harder to find the time for the most important relationships of life. I read recently that the average American worker works 47 hours a week, which is more than he worked in the 1920s. And I suggest that the same is in Australia. Our world winds us up so that even in our recreation, we are told there are activities that we must do and the things that we must buy to do it. And if you take up a leisure activity, you must have the right equipment, the right clothes, the right footwear, etc. As one who enjoys cycling, I'm amazed at the amount you can spend on having the right bike and the right gear, but none of it makes the pedals go round. You've still got to do that. Our world winds us up so that we are just too busy even to think. Someone has said, plenty of people want quick action, but the actual work of taking time to think seems unmanageable. People's minds are chock-a-block and the no vacancy light is flashing. People used to say time will tell, but today people won't wait that long. When can we remember the last time we were able to just sit down and just think one thing through to some sort of conclusion? Our world winds us up so that we are too busy even to get well. There is an ad on TV that's been there the last few winters for flu. It's a flu and cold medication. And it claims to relieve all the symptoms of colds and flu. And it does. To what end? So that we can keep on working. And so the ad goes, soldier on, soldier on. And all these happy, smiling people are on their way to work. And I'm saying, stay home, we don't want your germs. Even medications are designed to keep us busy. The world winds us up 
because people are often so obsessed with wealth and all the things it can buy. I came across this poem. It's called Time of the Mad Atom. This is the age of the half-read page, the quick hash and the mad dash, the bright night with nerves tight, the plain hop with the, with the brief stop, the lamp tan in a short span, the big shot in a good spot, and the brain strain, the heart pain, and the cat naps till the spring snaps and the fun's done. That wasn't written in 2017, 2022. It was written in 1949. Our world conspires against us so that God and the spiritual dimension of life are shoved, are shoved out of view or subtly dismissed as not being important. Nourishment of the soul is set aside for activities. Or if people do give time to nourishment of the soul, it is so little that the whole business is not fulfilling. It's like kind of having spiritual thoughts on the run. This morning, we're looking together at a challenging episode in the life of Jesus, where he rebuked a woman for her obsession with the here and now and its busyness. But let me say at the outset that Jesus was no supporter of laziness or indolence. He was a busy man who at times did not even have time to rest, but he never allowed the world to wind him up and spin out of control. Everything he did had poise and meaning and purpose. Just coming back to that passage, I just want to read it again. As they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister Mary who sat before the master hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later she stepped in, interrupting them. Don't you think it's unfair that my sister has abandoned me to the kitchen? While she sits here and I do all the work, the master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. Only one thing is essential and Mary has chosen it. There's only one thing, Martha, to be concerned about and Mary has it and she will not lose it. As we know, Martha and Mary, together with their brother Lazarus, were the special friends of Jesus, 
Martha welcomed Jesus and his disciples to her home. And it seems from the text that at first Martha also was listening to Jesus. But then she began to think about all that had to be done in the kitchen and to set about getting a meal ready for many people. How many, we do not know. And at first it seems that she was happy to leave Mary there with Jesus. But as she continued to do the work in the kitchen, she became aware that she needed help and that, our, and that without Mary, it was not going to be able to happen for the meal and became very agitated. In fact, she became angry, telling Jesus off for not sending Mary to help her. She presumed to tell Jesus what he must do. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. Did she realise what she was doing? Telling God off? For you see, Jesus is not only totally man, but he's also totally the eternal God. What caused this outburst from Martha? I remember preaching on this some years ago, and after the service, a woman came up to me and she said, John, you're like all the other preachers. You've got it in for Martha. Well, it's the words of Jesus here we're looking at. It's not me, okay. <laughs> what caused this outburst from Martha? I think it was more than the amount of work to be done. What was her motivation? What were her desires? And we need to understand that Martha was not a bad person. And we know that from what is written about her elsewhere in the Gospels. And on the positive side, I think Martha really wanted to put on a good meal for Jesus and his friends. She took pride in her home and was a responsible, conscientious woman. In first century Palestine, a woman's role was very much in the home and family and it gave significance and meaning to her life. The home was her world and how it was run and what happened in it were her chief concerns. And so we can understand Martha's inner turmoil as she wrestled with herself, her sense of duty, her sense of care, with also with what had to be done. She wanted the very best and she knew that it would not happen without Mary's help. In the same way, we have roles and activities in life which are on our concern list. Also, we have desires and passions about what we want to experience and to do. All of this 
is our world, which winds us up. And if the truth be known, a lot of it is good and necessary, just as it was for Martha. But unfortunately, this wonderful woman Martha forgot that there was no definite time for dinner. And with Jesus present, a meal was also not a problem. He had already fed 5,000 men and their families from five loaves and two fish. So a meal was not a problem for Jesus. You see, he was the original master chef. He was the one who really did rule the kitchen. With Jesus in her home, all normal operations could be suspended and she could just sit and enjoy being with Jesus and just go with the flow. Also, I think Martha might have been a bit of a control freak. She's got to, have, she's got to be the sheriff. She's got to have total control. Let me give you some reasons why people allow themselves to become ex continually, excessively busy. I am excessively busy because I need to prove myself. Because I have to live up to other people's expectations. Otherwise things will get out of control. I like being under pressure. I want to get the most out of life. It makes me feel good about myself. I want to earn all I can so that I can get all I can. I remember some time ago speaking to a young woman who was in one of the churches I was pastoring and her role model was a woman who worked 18 hours a day making money. And I tried to tell her that the end of that woman's life was going to be a disaster. But being young and ambitious, that was the model that she wanted to follow. Why did Jesus rebuke Martha? Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. Only one thing is essential. This is not me speaking. This is the Son of God speaking. The Son of God who knows all the things that are in our lives. But he is saying, this is the one thing that is essential. This is the one thing that you really need. And Mary has chosen it. It's the main course. It's not the sweets and the chocolates and the coffee afterwards. It's the main course, the main thing. And it won't be taken from her. But, you know, I notice that Jesus does not come down on Martha like a ton of bricks. He gently chides her. 
You see, Martha's problem was this, that she was unaware of her opportunity. Her priority was tasks. But right here at that moment, she was given a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to spend time with the Son of God, God in the flesh. It was like Moses at the burning bush. She would never have these precious moments again. She was so wound up by the task at hand that could wait that she turned aside from the most important thing and abandoned listening to Jesus. That's what she did. And you know, the great sin of our country is that people don't think that God exists. And if he does, and, and if he does they repudiate his rule over their life and treat him as unimportant. You see, that is the essence of ungodliness. The breaking of the very first commandment. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That is where it all begins. And the world thinks that God doesn't know what's going on. That he doesn't know their thoughts. That he doesn't hear their words. That he doesn't see what they do. But the Bible tells us very clearly, nothing is hidden from the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In millions of homes across our land, Bibles are there that have never been opened. And the opportunity to draw near to God is dismissed because of things to do, entertainments to enjoy, leisure activities to pursue. And I see families go from disaster to disaster because of the repudiation of God and the very first commandment. And Jesus made it very specific when he said, seek you first the kingdom of God. In other words, Seek first God's rule in your life. Seek first to love and honour God. And all these things, all the things that we need, will be added unto us. They will take their place in the right order when our first priority is God. You see, Martha emphasised the temporal and the transient over the eternal. She could serve, but she couldn't sit. Her duty and her routine and her tasks became an indecent possession, obsession because they kept her from God. But Mary emphasised 
the enduring and the eternal over the temporal and the transient. She could sit and she would be happy to serve later. Her priority was Jesus. And Jesus said, she's chosen the best, what really matters. The truth is, life has few necessities and we can do without much on which we lavish so much time. Mary was locked in in her determination to be with Jesus, to listen to Jesus, because he is the almighty God. And her passion, her passion was to know God. So in sitting and listening, Mary's soul was energised with a life-giving joy, which she took into everything else in her life. She wanted her love and passion for Christ to be the defining factor of her life rather than her activity in the world. And you know, the wonderful thing is this. When we sit and connect with Jesus, he speaks to us. And his awesome love dissolves our self-life, our self-centeredness. And then in surrender to his love, we actually find ourselves. We hear a lot in the world today about people going away to find themselves. We will never find ourselves unless we find God first. We will never understand ourselves unless we find God first. Because he's our creator. He knows how we're wired. He knows what we need. And what we need is him first and foremost. Tennis star Boris Becker was at the very top of the tennis world. Yet he was on the brink of suicide. He said, I had won Wimbledon twice. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they are so unhappy. I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. Boris Becker was not the only one to feel the emptiness of life. So many of the people in our culture, we hear in their voice, we see in their lifestyle, echoes of an empty life. Jack Higgins when he, Jack Higgins, the famous author of successful novels like The Eagle Has Landed, 
was once asked what he would like to have known as a boy before he set out on the world. His answer was simply this, that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. All your accomplishments, all your wealth, all your relationships, without God, are nothing. All truly successful people in life have been those who have prioritised. Furthermore, they have had their priorities in order. A businessman referring to a friend who was devoting most of his time and energy in the pursuit of what this world considers as valuable, wealth and health and so on, he said of him, he reminds me of a bulldog chasing a train. What's he going to do when he catches it? So the question is, what is the priority of our lives? Is it to know the eternal God, fully revealed in Jesus Christ? Or is it to be taken up, like Martha, with the transient, with the temporal, to such an extent that the eternal is wiped away. Jesus said, heaven and earth and everything that's to do with it will pass away. But my words, the words that Mary was hanging on and listening to, shall never pass away. There are two great days in a person's life. The day we are born and the day we discover why. When we sit at the feet of Jesus, when we give him our attention, he gives us his full attention and we will hear his voice the voice of his spirit speaking in our hearts. David summed up this passion to know God in a beautiful way. He said this in Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I ask you this morning, as I ask myself, is Jesus Christ my top priority? Am I like Mary? Delighting to sit and to read what God has written for us to know? Or am I like Martha? Running around, 
but without meaning, without purpose, and in the end will be only emptiness and loss. Jesus this morning pleads with us. He says, come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls.